eternal God, in the reading of the scripture, may your word be heard. In the meditations of our hearts, may your word be known. And in the faithfulness of our lives, may your word be shown. Amen. Our reading today comes from Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9 and 23 through 29. You irrational Galatians, you put a, who's put a spell on you? Jesus Christ was put on display as crucified before your eyes. I just want to know this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so irrational? After you started with the Spirit, are you now finishing up with your own human effort? Did you experience so much for nothing? I wonder if it really was for nothing. So does the one providing you with the Spirit and working miracles among you do this by you doing the works of the law or by you believing what you heard. Understand that in the same way that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness, those who believe are the children of Abraham. But when it saw ahead of time that God would make the Gentiles righteous on the basis of faith, Scripture preached the gospel in advance to Abraham. All the Gentiles will be blessed in you. Therefore, those who believe are blessed together with Abraham who believed. Before faith came, we were guarded under the law, locked up until faith that was coming would be revealed, so that the law became our custodian until Christ, so that we might be made righteous by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a custodian. You are all God's children through faith in Jesus Christ. All of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. Nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now if you belong to Christ, then indeed you are Abraham's descendants heirs according to the promise. Here ends the reading. When I was growing up, I had a friend named Tom. Tom and I met in the third grade, or maybe it was the fourth, I don't remember, one of the two, either third or fourth grade, and we were friends all through elementary school and middle school and high school. We hung out together, we we spent week weekends together, we played games. Um, by middle school, there was a small group of us, but originally it was just Tom and me. <laughs> but the, I haven't seen Tom in about 15 years, and... Uh, Tom Tom was a real character. He was a really interesting guy, and, and he was the kind of guy that you could always rely on to show up and help if you really needed it. But at the same time, he uh, often expanded on the truth a little bit in his stories. He, he was an avid storyteller, and he, he would tell interesting stories um, about who he was or who he worked for or um, just various things. And you weren't always sure what you could believe, what you couldn't believe. 
But the reason why I haven't seen Tom in the last 15 years is simply that he stopped talking to me. He just kind of disconnected and disappeared, and I haven't, I haven't seen him since then. But the, uh, the event that, that started this separation between us, I guess, um, was nothing major, no, no fallout, no, no anger, no, no negative words exchanged, nothing like that. The last thing that, that I did with Tom was to attend his wedding. <laughs> his wedding was about 15 years ago, and I had never met the woman that, that he married. We had never heard anything about her, really, uh, until we got the invitation to come to come to the wedding. And when we arrived, the, uh, the bride-to-be looked kind of um, uncertain about us being there. And I'm I, I fear, although I have no proof, I haven't, I haven't talked to Tom, of course, in 15 years, so I don't know for sure, but I fear that perhaps uh, he told some, some uh, stories about us that were, were not wholly true. <laughs> and so maybe his wife um, thought we were unsavory characters. I'm, I'm not sure. That would certainly explain why he hasn't talked to me since then. But in any case, the reason I thought of Tom I, when I was preparing for the sermon today, I, I was thinking about the law and the role of the law and in ways that I've um, that I've heard people talk about the, the, the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments and Scripture and, and use them as um, as a weapon in various situations. And there are lots of there are lots of examples all through the history of the church where the scriptures have been used as a weapon to to harm various communities. But in this particular case, I remember when we went to Tom's wedding, this was before I uh, had really come to Christianity. And we went to, it was a very, very small wedding, and it, but it was at a, a small Christian church, probably, you know, something in the Churches of Christ range of, of you know, kind of, I would assume kind of fundamentalist, evangelical, uh, church it seemed like a nice place. People were all very nice. The the minister seemed really nice. But one thing that surprised me was that the minister actually gave a full sermon during the the, the wedding service, which I understand is uh, used to be common, but is you know certainly not common in most of the wedding services that I've been a part of uh, recently. But he gave a, a full sermon, and the, his sermon was on. Uh, marriage as being between one man and one woman and all of the scriptural support he he felt he had for that and it was a very very anti-lgbt uh, sermon and i remember that what struck me about it was not the the content of the sermon i i expected you know that that the i was not surprised that this group of of uh, folks held these beliefs. I mean, it, you know, in the Bible Belt in Texas, you know, this is not not surprising. But what I what did surprise me about it, it, it was that it was so it seemed so um, unnecessary. I mean, we were at a, a, a wedding between, you know, a man and a woman. You know, their friends and family there. Why why the need to preach this sermon about? the sanctity of marriage as being only between one man and one woman and kind of talking out against the LGBT community. 
at a wedding. I mean, I, I get that there's some, there's some, you know, uh, there, there's some context there with it being a wedding and everything, but it just, it, it struck me at the time as being so out of left field, so unexpected for me. And I remember thinking, wow, what happened? You know, when did, when did Tom, my friend that I grew up with, you know, all through school, when did he become someone who believed in this? Or does he? Does he believe in this? Is this the way that he thinks that, you know, is the same way? And I was just very surprised by the whole thing. Of course, I never got to talk to him about it because, I mean, literally, I, I don't think I ever talked to him again after the, the wedding. Not because I didn't want to. He just He just dropped off the face of the earth. I never saw him again. So... I was left with this strange question in my head about whether my friend had been um, changed by the by this community or or what. That was a really interesting story, but it was stuck in my head, and it's still to this day one of the times I think about where someone has taken the law. In this case, they, they talked a lot about Genesis. They talked a lot about um, various things in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And the, you know, they've taken this the these books and they've used them as a weapon against their fellow human beings. And this is, I think, exactly one of the things that that Paul was warring against in his letter to the Galatians and, and other other places in his letters where he talks about the law and the role of the law in um, in the Christian community. Except that in Paul's time, it wasn't the LGBT community or um, the African slave community or, uh, you know, women uh, who want to preach or any of these groups who were being uh, attacked by folks using biblical sources. It was uh, in within the, the new growing Christian community. And uh, specifically in this case, in the, the church in Galatia. And this is the second our second sermon, part of a three-part series, not actually of my own design, but we're, we're using the narrative lectionary, and the narrative lectionary uh, goes through the, in, the entire Bible, and uh, we're coming to the end of it. So next week will be the last, uh, the last service in this sequence of the narrative lectionary. And these last three sermons are all about uh, Galatians, which is really, I think is really interesting. So last time we talked about the first two chapters of Galatians, and this time we talked about the third chapter of Galatians. And we talk about um, what Paul was, was dealing with. So last week we, we heard that uh, a couple of things in, in Paul's kind of setup to this point. Paul mentions that, that of course, he was called to teach the Gentiles. He was called, he, he was himself um, uh, an Israelite. Uh, you know, he was Jewish. He was a member of the Jewish community. And he had um, oppressed the, the, the Christian community early on. And then he had a vision of Jesus on the road uh, during his travels. And he converted to the Christian community. And he decided that he was called to go out to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish community, and preach them uh, the gospel of, of Christ, of Christ uh, crucified specifically. And he says that he received this gospel directly from Jesus, that he didn't, he didn't receive it from the apostles. He didn't go down to, to Jerusalem 
and and asked the, the apostles to teach him the gospel that he received it directly from from Jesus in this in this revelation. And last week we talked a bit about how probably the the um, the events of the gospel, the the parts that make up, uh, for example, the the gospel of Luke uh, and the book of Acts, which are both attributed to one of Paul's um, associates, Luke. Um, you know, he probably knew those things from hearing them from other places. I mean, he was he was oppressing the Christian community. He probably had already heard what people were saying about Jesus. So when when Paul says he received the gospel, what he means is that he received the 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 spirit. He received the the sudden realization of the truth of of uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so years later, I, th- I think you know, he says more than 10, I, guess he's, I think he says 14 years later, something like that. He he goes down to Jerusalem and he talks to the apostles to, to verify, to make sure that that he really is teaching uh, valid, you know, valid teachings, that his teachings are valid and are correct. And I think also to, to check with the, the Jerusalem community to make sure that they're not too far from himself not not as much you know part part of that's because he wants to make sure he's correct, but I think part of that's also because he wants to make sure that they've not strayed from what he sees as being the you know the central theme of the gospel, and sure enough he finds that he's in complete agreement with with the apostles. Um, he meets with Paul and James. Um, I'm sorry, he meets with Peter and James, uh, and and talks to them, and everything seems fine. So. Then we come to this the 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 event that has spurred this this letter, that has caused this letter. And that is that the the a group of uh, Christians from the, the Christian community, from the Jewish Christian community, have come to Galatia and are telling the the relatively newly formed church there, which is comprised of a mixture of both uh, Jewish and non-Jewish Christians. They're telling them that the the non-Jewish Christians, the Gentile Christians, must uh, must be circumcised and begin following the law of Moses if they want to be saved, if they want to be part of the of the Christian community, because after all, Christianity is um, you know started out as a as a, a sect of Judaism, and these to these folks, you have to be Jewish to be Christian. And this this letter of the Galatians. Uh, the letter to the, to the church in Galatia, was Paul's rebuke of them for, for, for believing what these people were telling them, because Paul had taught them something very different. And he starts with, with a story about Peter. And, you know, Peter had, uh, had uh, reached out to the Gentiles around Jerusalem. He was having meals with, you know, everybody in the, in the community, you know, Gentiles and Jews, uh, you know, um, slave and free, you know, the, for all walks of life. That was a, that was a huge core component of Jesus's ministry and of the ministry of the church. And, and, and so Peter as kind of the leader of the church was, was doing this, but then there were some, some folks in Jerusalem who uh, convinced him that he should stop eating with the, the Gentiles. And the reason for this was multifaceted. We don't. We don't know why. We don't. We don't hear Peter's side of the of the story um, very much. So we don't. We don't know exactly what his thoughts were, but it's likely that he was concerned about uh, the 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 rise in uh, Jewish nationalism within Jerusalem at the time. There was all these movements to try who that wanted to to free Judea from 
Roman rule, and certainly then there, there was a, a um, there was a, a revolt in seventy A.D. that where they tried to do just that, and they were crushed, and the temple was destroyed, and the Romans just completely crushed them. And so this is before that happened, and and so it's possible that Peter was concerned that that he didn't want the 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 uh, Jewish community in Jerusalem to be to you know. Um, to think poorly of the Christian community. And likewise, he didn't want the Roman government to think poorly of the Christian community. He was trying to kind of, you know, be everything to everyone. Or maybe he really believed this, what they were saying about the, but I, I doubt that. I think it was probably something, he, he was probably thinking more about the unity of the, the community. But Paul rebukes him. Paul, Paul at the time, Paul rebukes him and says, you can't do this. Like, you, you know, you've got to eat with everybody. So this is a core of the faith. And so Paul tells us to the Galatians in the first chapter is to kind of get them into this thing. And Paul's main point here is that we, is that we are saved not through our own actions, not through anything we, we do or believe, but through the grace of God, only through the grace of God. And um, that there's no way for us you know, it, it's impossible for us to save ourselves. We, it's, you know, God is the only one who can do it. And so for, for Paul, the, the grace of God um, and not being able to save oneself is kind of a core understanding of the gospel. And he says in, in Galatians, I don't ignore the grace of God because if we become righteous through the law, meaning through our own actions, then Christ died for no purpose. And so for him, this is a very important point. And so in the second, in this uh, third chapter, I mean, he he continues this thought process, and he um, he uh, kind of gets to the point he's trying to get to with the Galatians. And certainly, the beginning of our reading follows immediately after that bit about Christ after no purpose. He says, "You irrational Galatians, you put a, who put a spell on you? Jesus Christ was put on display as crucified before your eyes. I just want to know this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so irrational? After you started with the Spirit, are you now finishing up with your own human effort? Did you experience so much for nothing? So he's really berating them, right? In in the kind of, you know, loving way of, of a parent would. Now they've they've become... You know, the beginning, they're brothers and sisters. Now they're kind of his children. <laughs> he's and he's berating them, and he's saying, you know, who who has convinced you? Who who has bewitched you? Who has put a spell on you to make you think that that what I taught you when I was there is is not true? Because what Paul was teaching was uh, justification through faith, justification through um, not through works, not through the law, but through the Spirit. That it was that it was God's Spirit moving within you, that caused you to change your life, to to suddenly accept the realization of the gospel. That you know, just to accept the suddenly accept the fact that the gospel is true. That that um, that God has has uh, forgiven you. That that Christ has ransomed you through His death on the cross, and you know that you're what is needed of you is faith and and faith here is a little tricky we today we um a lot of this gets gets translated as believe or when we think about faith we think about it as being um like an intellectual belief and you know uh, you know oh i i believe this is true i, I have a you know intellectually i i think this is probably true right i believe this is true 
I've been convinced, right? But that's not what this word means. Um, in the in the Greek, it's it's um, pistos, which really is closer to it's faith is like faithfulness or trustworthiness. It's what you would say of someone who was who uh, you trusted, for example, to to do a job for you. You know, it was what you would say to your your trusted um, uh, your tr- your trusted servant who who you know took care of your of your house for you while you were gone or. Or your trusted business partner who who could go and and take care of a business um, you know business deal for you in your absence or whatever that the, you know, the the story of the for example the story of the, uh, the parable of the talents where we talks about the uh, the man who gives money to to his to his servants and then one of them you know one of them vests it and one of them buries it in the sand and you know he, that kind of thing is is what the kind of trustfulness that that we're talking about here this word so when we say faith and in most places in the in the new testament it's translated as faith but in this particular verse it's actually translated as believe um and you know did you receive the spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you heard really what what this belief word here is uh is faith it's about it's about did you have faith? Did you did you trust what you heard? Do you do you trust in God? Do you have do you do you have faith in God? Not do you believe, not do you believe in Jesus Christ, but do you trust in the saving act of Jesus Christ? Do you trust that? Do you do you put your your faith in? Do you put your trust in God? That's what he's saying, and he's saying that that's what you what is needed of you, and even that is not an act that that you. Um, like even doing that, you doing that doesn't doesn't save you. You doing that doesn't make you righteous. Uh, you're already righteous. You're righteous already by the saving work of Jesus Christ. But what happens is that when you when you have an epiphany and realize the truth of that, then you you come to have faith in the gospel. And he goes on to talk about uh, then talking about why why would you believe that you have to do the law. Uh, you know, the works of the law. And then he he likens them to Abraham. And he does this because, you know, the law of Moses, uh, the Ten Commandments, and, and uh, the law can be, can be, can describe a couple of different things. And Paul even describe, uses the same word to describe a couple of different things. But the law can generally be thought of to be the first five books of uh, the Jewish scriptures, um, which is called, the, uh, often called the Pentateuch, which means the five scrolls. Uh, or the Tanakh, um, but it's the or the it's the, the books of Moses they call them. It's uh, Genesis, uh, Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Numbers. And these these five books were uh, supposedly written by Moses. And I I would love to have another another sermon. I'll go into into more detail on on how. I understand these books were actually written and how they came along, but that's kind of beyond the scope of this sermon today. But those are the books. And so you can call those books as a whole the law, or you could talk about the law as being, you know, just the the legal requirements in the books, especially in um, Exodus, uh, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. Or you could talk about uh, 
uh, you could talk about the law as being this narrative story. And in fact, I think in the in the Jewish community of Paul's day, it was common to think about the law in, in two different ways. There was this this narrative that, that was important because it was the story of God's interaction with the, the people of the Israelites, the Jewish people, through history. And then woven into that story were these legal requirements, which is another kind of the law. And Paul's point is that it, when he when he talks about this, he's he's saying that that what's more important in this uh, in the, in these uh, books is that narrative story. The the legal aspect is not as important as the narrative part. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So so he points it to Abraham because that law of Moses came hundreds of years after Abraham. And yet Abraham, who had Abraham believed in, had faith in God, and was considered righteous by God before he was circumcised, before the books of Moses existed, before the law had been had been even thought of, yet alone written down. And so, Paul's point is that it's faith in God that justifies you, that that shows that you're righteous in God's eyes, not any physical act you can perform, whether that's circumcision or following dietary restraints or whatever. And then he goes on to say that the law, in fact, was put on the people of Israel as a way to show them how they could never really live up to it. You know, the the rest of the of the book, the the rest of uh, the Jewish scriptures, the old the, what we call the Old Testament, is the story of how Israel never lived up to to what God wanted of them. I mean, there there's all of these stories about you know things are going well and then things are going bad and then then disaster strikes. You know, and then they're carted off to Babylon and, and all this kind of stuff, right? So, it, the the truth of the matter is that that you know as a as a as a whole as a community they could never follow um, the law perfectly. And in fact, Paul makes the point that no one could ever follow the law perfectly. It, it's not possible. The only person who was able to follow the law perfectly was Jesus Christ, but that it was impossible for anybody else to do it. And so the point of the law is to show us our own fallibility. The, the, our, the fact that we could not, through our own actions, save ourselves, um, that, that we must rely on the grace of God. And so in that way, Paul says the law was like a custodian or like a, like a, um, custodian is the word used in this translation. Uh, the, I think the King James says a schoolmaster, but that's actually not, not a good translation either. It, it's like a, a person who, who's put in charge of a, of a, um, of a student to make sure that they, that they, uh, that they study. Uh, so the law is, is, you know, there is looming over us to show us our own shortcomings. But in Christ's death on the cross, Christ, Christ redeemed us, and, and not just us, not just me or you, but all of humanity. And that's what Paul says here, that Christ redeemed all of humanity through, through his own faith, his own trust, and through his death on the cross. And so when that happened, the custodian of the law, the, the, the need for the law, 
as um, something that we have to follow because it shows us how how we can't ever live up to to everything is removed. And in that moment, in Christ, we are we are all one. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's now neither male nor female. But we are all now Abraham's descendants. And so that's kind of the the gist of this third the third chapter of uh, Galatians. And next week we'll we'll talk about the rest of Galatians and we'll see where he goes from this. But now I want to swim back around and talk about the role of the law. So so if if Paul is saying here that you know the 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 need for the law has been removed because um, through the actions of Jesus Christ and and for all of humanity, and certainly as universalists, you know we believe that all of humanity and all of creation will eventually be brought into right relationship with God, whether that happens in this life or the, or the next. The point is that God, who is all loving and all powerful, will eventually reconcile everyone. To God's self, and so, if that's true, and if it's true that Christ's death on the cross justified not just a group of people, not just those who are currently baptized, not just those who are currently calling themselves Christians, but all of humanity, if we're not saved through our own actions, there there are no religious observances or songs, or intellectual beliefs, etc., that we can have that affect our salvation in any way at all. If, if salvation is only by and through the grace of God, as we attest that it is, then what use is the law? Why, why even have it? And yet, you know, Jesus says that he's not come to, to get rid of the law, but to fulfill it. And we hear... Uh, in Jesus's in in Jesus's own words, but also in in Paul's words, that the summation of the law is to to love God and to love one neighbor, and that if you do those things, then you have fulfilled the requirements of the of the law. And that is something that I am you know I, that is the core of my of my belief, part of the core of my belief. Uh, of my trust in God is in this idea that it is through trusting in God and through, tr- you know, loving our, our neighbors, loving all of humanity, especially those people that, that we don't get along with very well. <laughs> um, it's through that, that, that we show, uh, that we show the world that, that Jesus is trying to bring into existence, the kingdom of God here on earth. And also it's through that, that we, that we, allow ourselves to be changed for the better by the spirit, right? Through, through living that reality. But, but where does that leave the law? And in this case, we mean literally the old Testament and, and specifically the five books of Moses. What is the use of them? If not as a law book, if not as a legal, a description of legal things that we should, we have to adhere to. And when we talk about, this thing is important to remember those two parts of the of the book you know woven together there's both a narrative history of god's interaction with humanity through the the people of israel and this legal uh code that that it was given to the israelites and so 
the narrative history is very important to us. And it's important because it was, uh, the, it was a history and, and, a, and a, a tradition that was extremely well-known to Jesus and extremely well-known to the apostles and the disciples in the early church. And it's out of this tradition and using the, the concepts and words and stories and narratives from this tradition that Jesus says the things that he wants to say about, about God and about community and about um, love and everything. And it's through this same tradition that the apostles and, and the early church um, talk. And so we, if we don't know the tradition, if we don't know the stories, then we miss out on important aspects in the New Testament. Secondly, just because we're not bound by the law, that just because performing the law, and here again I mean the legal, the legal aspects of it, the legal code, doesn't mean that it's completely um, useless, right? I mean, the it's still helpful. You know, uh, the Ten Commandments are still an excellent guide to life. <laughs> you know, um, even even if we say, well, you know, uh, we're not going to go to hell because we, you know, because we we. Uh, we lied once or we or we cheated somebody or we stole something one time but yet they give us a guide to what it means to live in uh, the christian community and how to how to be a better person and so they're still useful to us uh, as a self-improvement as a teaching tool as a as a guide for us to look back on and yet at the same time we have to remember that many of the of the people in the scripture uh, are flawed, flawed human beings. You know, David is pointed to as a, a kind of a, a paragon of, of kingly leadership. And yet, you know, he fell in love with, uh, with the wife of his general by, you know, peeking, up, peeking on her while she was bathing and then had an affair with her, got her pregnant, tried to get the general to come back and, and sleep with his wife so he could pretend it was his the general's baby and then when that didn't work had the general killed right and here he's you know he's david he's the, he's the the you know the the uh the ancestor of all of the kings of israel you know many of the people in the in the bible are flawed flawed people and so we have to be aware of that we don't we shouldn't just mimic them because they're in the bible and also we should think about any kind of legal requirements with within kind of two contexts. One, the context of when they were originally written, which is really important. And two, the context of the entire narrative and the entire teaching of the Bible as a whole. You know, if we read a particular verse and it doesn't seem to make sense in the bigger picture of the of the teachings of Christianity, then it might be something that we should we should figure is out of date, something that that we should not emulate. You know, uh, for example, there are many verses in both the Old and New Testament that talk about the subservience of women to men. There are verses that talk about how women should not uh, should not teach men, how women should be quiet in church, how women should be subservient to their husbands. Um, and yet that idea is so uh, so opposed to the, the the overall understanding we have of the Christian message. Love one another and, and love your neighbor, and there is no division. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither 
slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. And Jesus himself included many women in, in ministry. You know, the, uh, the, the women, it was the women who, who discovered the tomb was empty. It was the women who were waiting by the cross uh, when, when Jesus was crucified. It was the women who didn't desert him uh, when things got to go, began going badly. And Paul speaks highly of women in the early church. He has, he obviously sees, sees women as, as uh, his equals, as, as a part of the, of the church community and the ministry. You know, he talks about sending women, um, you know, out to the churches to, 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 to deliver his, his, his letters and things. I mean, Paul obviously didn't think of that women should be below men in some way. And so when we read these texts, we have to think, you know, were these later editions? Were these, you know, how, how did these, you know, get in here? But, but generally we can think, you know, this just doesn't match the whole story. And, and there's a lot of things like that. Things related to uh, loving families, uh, the, the LGBT community, um, you know, things related to, to slavery. You know, Paul, Paul says, and, and some of the, you know, Paul says somewhere, you know, that slaves should just be content being slaves and not try to, to try to free themselves. But, you know, Paul also says that people shouldn't bother getting married because Paul thought that the end was coming so soon that it would, there was no reason people just shouldn't do it because, you know, why, why bother with it when Jesus is going to come back in our lifetimes, right? <laughs> so all of that, all those things we find, those are the things that have been used as weapons to weaponize the scriptures in the past. And, and anytime we use the scripture as a weapon against, uh, against somebody, instead of using it as a way to demonstrate our love for one another, then I think we're, we're misusing it and we're misunderstanding Jesus's message. So this week, I want you to think about that. Think about when you've seen people use verses, use quotes in the Bible as a weapon, when they've, they've used their own knowledge to, um, as a form of one-upsmanship and try to not do that yourself. <laughs> try, try to instead approach people from a place of love and from a place of unity, you know, unity through diversity. This is what Paul was saying, that, that in Christ, we are all one. There's neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female. We are all one together in Christ and we are one family, even the people that we don't like, you know? Even the, the, the Christians that, that drive us crazy, we're still part of their family and indeed part of the family of all humanity. That's what we should try to remember. Um, and that's how we should try to change our own, our own views and our own lives to better represent in the world. Amen.